You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. Alrighty, so we're going to have a look at um, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 again, and we're going to do a superior covenant part 2 today. So let's, let's just pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your incredible love towards us and what we've been singing about this morning, uh, your amazing love that you laid down, or Jesus, you laid down your life for us. And uh, maybe some of us uh, could love a family member enough to lay our lives down, maybe our wife or our children or something like that, but you laid your life down for rebels, and that's incredible. Uh, while we weren't even seeking you, while we turned our backs on you, you, you died for us. And it's just mind-blowing, Lord. And I pray that this morning as we look at your word, that uh, you would highlight uh, the truth of Scripture to us, help us to understand. Holy Spirit, we welcome you uh, just to give us revelation. And we pray that you would be honored and you would be glorified in this meeting. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, a superior covenant, uh, part two. If you have your Bibles, just turn to Hebrews 8, verse 6. We'll read that verse again. Uh, But last week, we began to look at the topic of covenants. And uh, I just thought, what we'll do is we'll just camp here for a while. We'll go a couple of weeks looking at the topic of covenants, trying to unpack it more. Because if we just kind of move over that and carry on in the rest of Hebrews and you don't really have an understanding of covenants, the rest is not really going to make sense. And uh, so we don't want that. So Hebrews 8 verse 6 says this, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So that's why we're looking at covenant And why is it a better covenant? What was the covenant before? And uh, if you didn't hear last week's message, I'd really encourage you to jump onto uh, a podcasting app or whatever you use, search for New Gen City Church, and just have a listen to it. Because covenants is a very, very important topic in the Bible. If we don't understand covenants, a lot of the Bible is not going to make sense. And so to understand how God deals with humans, it's very important to understand covenants. And so last week, uh, we began to look at the difference between a covenant and a contract. We looked at some differences there. And we also saw that God only deals with people through covenants. He doesn't make contracts. And the reason he doesn't do that is because a contract, you have to, both sides have to bring something to the table to offer the other person. I bring money, the builder brings my house, and I enter into a contract. But when it comes to God, there is nothing from me that he needs. So I can't make a contract with him because I come to the table empty-handed. So God makes covenant with us because it's all about him saying, this is what I'm going to do, this is is what I'm going to bless you and I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to do this for you, that for you, the next thing, and all you have to do is say yes or no. And agree to the covenant that God makes with us. Sometimes there's some terms and conditions. Sometimes it's unconditional. And that's why God deals with us in covenants. Okay. Now, um, 
So I'd, I'd really encourage you, have a listen to last week's message, read the scriptures on covenant, and do it until you understand. Don't just go, oh, okay, I listened to last week's message, I don't really understand it, let me move on. Don't move on until you understand this topic. It is that important. It's not an optional extra like, do you want uh, air conditioning in your car? It's, do you want wheels on your car? It's that important, okay? <laughs> but uh, there are a number of covenants that God makes in the Bible. We're going to look at five key covenants. So we're going to look at God's covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Israel, with David, and the new covenant. Those are the five that we're going to look at. I'm not sure how far we'll get in this message today. I'm hoping we can cover at least two of them, maybe Noah and Abraham. We'll see how we go. But as we look at covenants, um, I think it's important for us to ask this question. What is God's ultimate plan? What does he, what does he really want out of all of this? What's his end goal? What's his end game? And uh, because there's God's plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, his plan to reveal his wisdom to the powers and principalities of darkness, plan to bring the Messiah to earth, a plan to bring Israel into their promised land and all these things, to unite Jews and Gentiles. But what's his ultimate plan? Can we, can we boil it all down to one kind of uh, key plan? I believe, I'm going to be very, I'm going to simplify this as much as I can, but I believe God's ultimate plan is that he wants a big family. I really believe that's what all of this is about. He has this most wonderful, perfect relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he wants to share it with more. He's got so much love to give, he wants a bigger family, and so he, he sets out on this plan to create a potential for a family and then to see how they can actually come in to being in a loving relationship with him. So if I really want to simplify things down, just have that in the back of your mind. God wants a big family. And so when we're looking at covenants, have that thought in your mind. How are these covenants moving uh, God towards that ultimate plan, because you're going to see that actually they follow one another. It's not just random covenants. One of the things that uh, when I was a young believer, I, I kind of knew a lot of the stories of the Bible and a lot of kind of facts about the Bible, but they were all just disjointed facts. They were kind of like, okay, I knew about Dave, David and Goliath and Noah and the flood and you know, the next guy and the next guy, but I couldn't piece it all together to form one continuous storyline. There wasn't a kind of direction. It was just a, like I had a puzzle box with a whole lot of pieces and no picture to go on. And I just kind of thought, well, I just know these are God's pieces in the, in the puzzle, right? And so when we're thinking of covenants, Think of this. Well, God's got this plan. He's, he's working it out. So he's making covenants with this plan in mind. Okay? Let me have a, have a sip here quickly. So God wants a family. A bigger family, should I say. There he is. 
in, in the vastness of eternity. There's nothing there other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and he begins creating. He begins to create the unseen spiritual realm. He creates the heavens, and then he creates the physical seen realm. And in the heavens, he creates myriads and myriads. I think it's trillions or even more uncountable numbers of angelic beings, okay? And then he begins to create the, the seen or the, the known universe, the physical universe, all the planets, all the stars and everything like that. And he, one of those billions of planets he creates is Earth. And on the Earth, he separates water and land, and he creates all this vegetation, all these animals, and he's got this incredibly picture-perfect setting. And, and if you read Genesis chapter 1, after every stage of creation, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But there's something missing. In all of this incredible creation, there's still something extra that God wants. And he wants this big family. And so God says in Genesis 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the, ra- along the ground. Remember, we are called to reign over the animals that scurry, so don't be scared of spiders and, and mice. And <laughs> then look at verse 31. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Why? Humans have now been created. All before that, animals and plants, yes, it's all good. Suns and stars and nebulas and shooting stars, comets, whatever else is out there, it's all good. But when humans are made, now God says, now that's very good. See the difference? What a start. And it really is a picture-perfect story. God makes, he even makes this beautiful garden and he puts humans in the garden. He doesn't just say, just kind of be anywhere on the earth, just you pick the place. He makes a paradise and he puts humans there. And uh, you read about this wonderful interaction of God with humans. He walks there in the cool of the day. To me, that just says, it's not just like, you know, when you begin to plant a garden, you've got tiny little seedlings shooting up. If there's a cool of the day, there's shade. So there's big trees there, and there's God walking, and he's, he's interacting. He's talking to Adam. He, he gets Adam to name all the animals, so he gets all the animals to come and pass in front, and he's, he's, he's not just saying, hey, just sit on one side, Adam, and watch me do everything. He wants involvement. So it's like your kid, you know, you, I don't know, you, you're busy doing, you're building something, and then you, you let your kid kind of hold the screwdriver or half screw in a screw. That's what God's doing. He's saying, oh, you can name the animals, Adam, and there's this wonderful relationship going on with the Lord. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay like that. We all know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters into the human race. And then as you start reading 
subsequent chapters, I mean, the, the very next generation, the one boy murders his brother, and things just get worse and worse and worse and worse until we get to Genesis chapter 6, which is the flood, the story of the flood. Humans have become so evil that God is actually sorry that he made them, okay? Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Imagine that. Every single thing that people thought about was evil, consistently. And so the Lord was sorry that he'd ever made them and put them on earth. Now, don't get all tied in a knot about, is God sorry and did God make a mistake? Can he make a mistake? Does God repent? That's not the point of this. The point of this is that the people that God made had been so infiltrated by the kingdom of darkness and evil that it was an absolute catastrophe. And it was like God just felt incredible sorrow when he looked at humans and thought, my goodness, this has gone totally in the opposite direction that I was hoping for. That's the point. It's not a, don't get all confused about that, okay? And it broke his heart. And so God, when he created, uh, when he created things, he made three orders of living beings. So he made the lower order, which is animals, then he made a higher order, which are humans, and an even higher order, which is angels. And one of the things that is an absolute abomination to God is an intermingling sexually between these orders. Humans and animals, humans and angels, it's something that disgusts God. And the wickedness on the earth had got to such a bad level that this was taking place. Have a look at Genesis uh, chapter Chapter 6, verse 4. I'm trying not to be too graphic here. So I thought, well, I'll just read the Bible. I'll let the Bible be graphic, not me. Anyway, Genesis 6, verse 4. It says, In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. So you had this intermingling of angels and humans creating a hybrid, a, a monstrosity, if you like, called Nephilim, giants, famous warriors of old. And it was a perversion of what God had created. And God looks at this and goes, I've got to put an end to this. I cannot let things continue the way they're going because it's so evil, I've got to put a stop. And so... God, in fact, this is the kind of evil that has happened in this day. I don't think we've ever seen this kind of evil before. But the Bible says that when Jesus returns, it will be like in the days of Noah. And so it's possible that we are going to see this in the future, where things are going to become so terrible. Um, but God isn't going to send a flood to wipe everyone else. He's sending Jesus to end this age and to start a new age. Amen. Looking forward to that day. <laughs> so God decides 
to wipe the slate clean, uh, verse 7 of Genesis 6. The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth, yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. So God makes this drastic, drastic decision to wipe humanity out. Anyway, I was hoping to cover Noah and Abraham in this message, but looks like I'm only going to cover Noah. <laughs> My intention was really for covenants just to do three messages. I might have to do a message on each uh, person. So there you go. But God found one person, only one, in all of humanity, all the wickedness that's going on, God found one person who wasn't living like this. And his name is Noah. Noah was his name. And, uh, and so God saves Noah and his family. Eight people. Eight people are saved out of the entire world's population. Hopefully, that part of when Jesus returns, it'll be like the days of Noah. Hopefully, it won't be eight people getting saved when Jesus returns. <laughs> <laughs> it does say that exactly right. So God sends a worldwide flood and he wipes out every human, every animal, every bird, all wiped out. Only the fish survive, right? And uh, eight humans and two of each kind of animal are saved. That's what happens in Noah. And uh, after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. Here's where we're getting to covenant. He makes a covenant. Remember, what's God's ultimate goal? He wants a big family. Now he's got eight people left. Now he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I wonder how this is going to turn out. How am I going to get a big family from only eight? So I better make a covenant because what if things go wrong and I have to wipe these last eight guys out? Okay? Humans have turned away from God. God had to destroy them. Now God's last hope of having a bigger family lies with these eight people in the boat, okay? So God makes covenant. Let's, let's read it. Genesis 8, verse 18 to 22. Genesis 8, 18 to 22. So Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. Maybe there was the unicorns and the dodos. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> That's why they're not around anymore. Anyway, uh, the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. And if you've had kids, you know that's true. Okay? <laughs> Just if you've got two kids, try give, try give one toy to them and see if they'll share it. <laughs> I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, 
day and night. What's God's purpose for making this covenant? God is ensuring that there is going to be a pool of people that he can get a family from. He's saying, listen, I've wiped everybody out. I've got eight left. I promise you, never, ever, ever again will I send a flood. No matter how evil you get, I'm not going to destroy the human race again like that because I want a big family. Okay, so that preserves humanity as a race. And not only does God do that, he says, not only am I not going to destroy you, I'm also going to ensure that I provide for you. So there will be seasons. They will never stop. There will be enough food for you, and it will never, ever run dry. So you will never die out as a race. I will always have humans from which to gain a family from. And good thing with this covenant is it's unconditional. <laughs> it is an unconditional, universal covenant. Even if people continue to sin, God will never break this covenant. Praise the Lord for that, because if it was the conditional covenant, I don't think we'd be here today. <laughs> um, we'd be wiped out, eh? So praise the Lord. It's an unconditional covenant, and God also promises that no matter what happens, I'm going to provide harvest, rain. I'm going to provide seasons for growing food. There will be enough food. And then God gives a sign to guarantee this covenant. Genesis 9, verse 12 to 16. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I've placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. So we see that it's actually an eternal covenant. So even when we've been in heaven for thousands and millions and millions of years, God will never, ever, 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 ever destroy a human, the human race, ever again. And so the two essential ingredients for growing food on earth are the, are the sun and rain. And when those two things come together, you get a rainbow. Every time a rainbow appears, it's a reminder to God, not to us. Every time God sees a rainbow, it's a reminder to him, don't destroy everybody. Remember the promise you made. Remember the covenant you made. And that's God's reminder that he's given him himself. Wonderful, eh? Now you might be thinking, well... There are famines, and uh, there are nations starving to death. Therefore, God has broken his covenant. He hasn't provided enough food. Well, that's actually not true. God has not broken his covenant because every year there is a study done by the United Nations and World Hunger Organization, and every single year the amount of food that's produced globally has risen with the population of the earth. There is enough food to feed every single human on the planet every year without fail. The problem is people don't want to share the food. 
They don't give it around equally. And so you've got some nations that are dying from obesity and other nations that are dying of starvation. Why? Not because there isn't enough food. There is. There is enough food on this planet for every single person to have their 2,500 calories a day. There is enough food. And it doesn't matter if the earth's population gets to 50 billion, God will provide enough food for that many people. He's done it in the past in Egypt or in the, in the wilderness. He provided every single day for 40 years for millions and millions of people and their animals, and he gave them food and water every single day. There was, uh, excepting the Sabbath, but let's just, let's, he did provide actually because he provided double on, on the day before. So without fail, for 40 years, he fed millions of people, and he's doing this with, the, with this covenant that he made with Noah. He's been doing it faithfully. He's never broken this promise. We've messed it up because we don't share. <laughs> some countries have excess and some countries have nothing. And, you know, I, I remember seeing in the news, this, you, you, you see it all the time, the injustices that go on. I remember a while ago, I forget how many years ago it was, but there were people in Zimbabwe starving to death. And the UN sent aid, and when it arrived, the government just said to the soldiers, just dump the food, just throw it away. We don't want the food getting to the people. And that's just, I'm not having a go at Zimbabwe. That's everywhere. All over the world, there's inequality like this. When God has said, there's actually enough for all of you, we've messed it all up by distributing it in, uh, not equally. Anyway, <laughs> but despite all this corruption and mismanagement, God will keep his promise. Even though we're evil, even though the levels of evil might go up, God will keep providing more and more and more food as the population of earth goes up. So just to recap, what's God's ultimate plan? He wants a big family. So he creates human beings, and it's all wonderful. It's all very good. Then sin enters. Things start going bad, 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 bad. Terrible. Now every single person on earth, bar one guy, every thought that they have is evil. They are consumed with evil to such a point that there are now this weird hybrid creation getting formed that God never intended. And he's like, if I don't put a stop to this now, where is it going to end? And so he wipes out almost all of the human race. But now his ultimate plan isn't looking too rosy. There's eight people left. And so he says, okay, from now on, I'm going to protect this human race, no matter what they do, so that I can have a big family. Amen. And that's the first of five key covenants. That's why God makes covenants with us. What's he going to do next? How's he going to reach this bunch of rebels? <laughs> because even after the flood, doesn't take long. Next thing they're building the Tower of Babel. <laughs> you know, didn't take them long to start spiraling down again. <laughs> so what's God going to do? Because he's a holy God. How is he going to have a family with people that aren't holy? How can light and dark be in the same place? 
God's got to do something radical. And we're going to see that in the covenants to come. Anyway, let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for your incredible, incredible love for us. We've sung about it. We've seen it. Lord, it's, it's just amazing. Oh, it's, it's almost beyond our comprehension that you love us so much. Your, your word says the, the universal sin that, that every human has committed is that we all like sheep have gone astray, each one to their own way. We've, at some point in our lives, we've all turned our backs on you and thought we can live without you. And uh, Lord, you love us so much, you came after us. And uh, we thank you for saving us. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us. And, and Lord, we, we want to say thank you. I think so many people around the world, you're providing all this food, all this protection, and yet so few say thank you to you. We want to say thank you. We want to say, Lord, thank you for your provision. Thank you for providing sunshine and rain, food, you know, dry ground. Thank you for providing oxygen in the air that we can breathe. Thank you, Lord, for providing beautiful landscapes that we can enjoy and paint and travel to and hike through. Thank you for your goodness. You are such a good God. And we just want to say thank you this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work powerfully in our lives, reveal your incredible love for us, how committed you are to us, even though we've just looked at the first of these covenants. Help us to understand it deeply so that it draws us in to a deep relationship with you. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 